let me ask you, what's the riskiest thing you've ever done? What's the riskiest thing you've ever done? And in a couple of weeks, I'm going to let you respond to that question, what I want you to continue thinking about risk as it relates to your own life. What's the riskiest thing you've ever done? Now, as for me and my house, as I mentioned last week, we've been skydiving, we've been scuba diving, we've uh, done all kinds of uh, interesting things. Uh, some of them are really fun, like uh, paragliding into the town square of Interlaken, Switzerland. I am Swiss by background, and uh, that was a real treat. Uh, you strap on a parachute with a guy on your back, and you run off a mountain, and then the updraft takes you up, and you're up for about a half an hour just in the Alps. Uh, and then they do what they call a death spiral down into the town square of Interlaken in Switzerland. Uh, fun, exhilarating, risky? Eh, I don't know about that. But there's also been some real challenging risks that we have done, like moving into a city to start a church with one other family that was interested. And uh, that required risk. That required risk. I think of moving my family to France. I think of moving my family to Thailand after purging uh, most of our earthly possessions and uh, being in the ministry some 20 years at that point and accumulating a lot of stuff and selling everything, your cars, your clothes, your pretty much everything. And uh, life is like that. Life is filled with risks. I think of uh, being at the Evangelical Church of Bangkok, my last assignment before this one, and uh, launching into a building program uh, that was multi-million dollar and uh, having a whole bunch of people say, you can't do this. You can't build in downtown Bangkok. You cannot build. Uh, you, You don't have any financing, which we didn't because the Lord took care of that, and we built that thing debt-free through God's grace. It required a risk. It required a risk to step out and do those kinds of things, but that fits into the definition that we've been using. So if you have your sermon notes and like to follow along, a risk is exposure to the chance of injury or loss. Uh, That's kind of where we are. Or a dangerous chance or undertaking. If you don't have sermon notes and would like some, uh, just slip your hand up and we'll get those to you. So this has been our definition that we've been using. Exposure to the chance of injury or loss, a dangerous chance or undertaking. So if we begin looking at this a little more closely, uh, you see that there is an element here that uh, many of us are uncomfortable with. Uh, Words like injury, Words like loss, words like dangerous. And if we're going to be talking about risk, we have to understand that that's part of the territory of taking a risk. In fact, that's built into the very definition of the word. And so be thinking about that as we look at what Peter did. He took a risk and did a little water walking. Again, our passage of scripture for this series has been Matthew 14, verses 22 to 32. And I encourage you to follow along in your Bible, not putting these verses uh, up on the screen. Uh, I'd like you to be looking at those on your own. Matthew 14, 22 to 32. So if you've got your Bible, electronic device, uh, pull that out, bring it up, and here we go. Uh, Once again, I'm going to be reading different versions of this passage of Scripture because I think each one gives a little different flavor, a little different something that I didn't see before. 
So here we go. Uh, Matthew chapter 14, beginning verse 22. Immediately after this, Jesus told the disciples to get into their boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he stayed to get the people started home. Then afterwards, he went up to the hills to pray. Night fell, and out on the lake, the disciples were in trouble. For the wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy seas. About four o'clock in the morning, Jesus came to them walking on the water. They screamed in terror, for they thought he was a ghost. But Jesus immediately spoke to them, reassuring them, Don't be afraid, he said. Then Peter called him, Sir, if it's really you, tell me to come over to you walking on the water. All right, the Lord said, come along. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he looked around at the high seas, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And instantly Jesus reached out his hand and rescued him. O man of little faith, Jesus said, why did you doubt me? And when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. The others sat there, awestruck. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. Wow, what a journey we've been on these last weeks. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, The last time I shared with you, Peter and the other disciples found themselves in a dangerous place. A very dangerous place in a dangerous storm on the Sea of Galilee. And I mentioned to you previously uh, that the Sea of Galilee is quite small. It is half the size of Lake Winnebago. So when we think of the Sea of Galilee, don't think this big like Lake Michigan kind of deal. It's not like that at all. The Sea of Galilee is quite small. And uh, the disciples are there, though, in an incredible storm. Earlier, they had fed some 15,000 people using five loaves and two fishes, an absolutely incredible miracle. Uh, That's where this passage starts. Jesus was at the peak of his popularity at this time, and the masses wanted him to be their candidate for the king of Israel. We want you to be our king. You're a great candidate, Jesus. He declined their offer, told his guys, get in the boat, go across the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee to the city of Capernaum, Meanwhile, Jesus did a little solo mountaineering in order to get some peace and quiet and pray to connect with his Father. So that's what we've been looking at uh, over these last weeks. And so while he's praying, the disciples are churning away, fighting this ferocious storm, trying to get to shore. And as we understand the uh, geography of the Sea of Galilee, the northern tip is very narrow. Uh, but the storm was pushing them further and further out to the middle And what should have taken just a matter of a few minutes to cross the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum, uh, they had been fighting this storm now, rowing for nine hours, going nowhere fast. And things are not looking good for them. And so they see this shadowy figure coming toward them, walking on the water. Whoa, what's going on here? So probably like I would have done. This is weird. They think it's a ghost. They start screaming. Uh, They freak out. And who would blame them? And Jesus tells them, don't be afraid, take courage, I am here. And we spent a whole message basically on that principle. Uh, Don't be afraid, take courage, I am here. And our courage is based on the source. And the source of their courage has got to be Jesus. I am here. And I'm not certain what storm you are paddling against right now. And maybe you feel like the waves are about to take you under. But I'm saying if you are a Jesus follower, can you hear his voice? Don't be afraid. 
take courage. I am here. I'm here. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I will never abandon you. You may feel like that. He's there. He is there. Anyway, Peter does his Peter thing, climbs over the side of the boat, and he starts walking on water toward Jesus. Jesus said, okay, come on out, Peter. Come on down. And so Peter climbs over the side of the boat. He's in obedience, walking toward Jesus. Takes his first steps. That had to be uh, a thrill. It had to be totally cool. I would love to picture that in my mind of getting out of a boat and taking those, oh my goodness, with a storm. Uh, That is just so cool uh, to think about. And so here he goes. So far, so good. But then we read, when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified, and then Peter began to sink. Peter began to sink. When he took his eyes off the Lord, obvious principle, he started to go under. Peter's faith was enough to get him out of the boat. His faith was enough to get him over the side of the boat, but it wasn't enough to carry him across the water. I want to think about that for a moment. Oftentimes we'll start out something with great intentions. I believe God is telling me to do this, showing me to do this. Uh, I'm going to do this, right? And we begin this exciting journey uh, with God, but then our faith falters. Now that doesn't mean we failed. Please understand that. That does not mean we failed. If our faith falters, that does not mean that we failed. When Peter's faith started to stall out, he reached out to Jesus. He did the right thing. In obedience, he climbed over the side of the boat to get to Jesus. And now, as his faith begins to falter, he reaches out to Jesus. So, this is all really good stuff. Really, really good stuff. He was probably wearing his full set of water-soaked clothes, making it very difficult to swim or even stay afloat. Now he's down. Now he's starting to tread water. Now he's going under. He's going down. This is it. And maybe there are people here right now, and you feel like that. You've taken a step of faith. You've attempted to do something great for your family, for God, and suddenly you find yourself sinking. Peter began to sink, and that's a common experience for each of us. We're all going to sink at times. The question is, what are we going to do when we start to sink? Are we going to try to figure this thing out? We're going to lean on our own understanding. We're going to get ourselves out of this. Or are we going to turn to the Lord? And here's Peter's incredible example. As he goes down, Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. So you get this picture, right? Peter's sinking. He's, the wave's crashing. Jesus reaches down. He pulls him up, right? He pulls him up. Does he give him a big old warm fuzzy hug? No. What does he say? You have so little faith. Why do you doubt me? Why do you continue to doubt me? And so it's more of a rebuke right in his face rather than a gentle Jesus kind of, okay, it's going to be okay. I'm here. And sometimes we need that. Now, if I were Peter, I'd be thinking, really, Jesus? Really, really, really. I just about died in this storm. I thought I had just seen a ghost walking on the water. I am about to drown. I'm going under. 
I was scared to death. And I'm doing this all because you told me to do it. And then you rebuke me for having no faith. Really? Really? Is this the way this works? Hmm. The Lord often puts us in risky situations, friends. You know that. The Lord often puts us in risky situations. Just as our muscles become stronger when they are worked out hard, stretching them, faith can only be strengthened when it's taken to the extreme. It has to be taken to the extreme. And in this particular country, we know very little about taking our faith to the extreme. We don't need to very often. Because we've got science, we've got medicine, we've got education, we've got everything we need right here. So oftentimes our faith isn't stretched the way that it could be and should be in order for growth to happen. But understand, risky situations become growth opportunities. That's the way that God has worked all this out. Risky situations, even though it seems like we're failing, actually become growth opportunities. And as you begin thinking about your life, some of the greatest growth in your spiritual journey has been in the toughest times. Would you agree with that? These become then growth opportunities. These risky, risky, seemingly risky situations. When we begin to sink and call upon his name as we just were singing, he demonstrates his power. He demonstrates who he really is. And our faith learns to extend farther than it has ever gone before. But we have to take the risk first in order for that to happen. If we don't take the risk, none of that rest of the process is going to be fulfilled. And we're missing out, I believe, on what God has for us. Now, this was a moment with a master that Peter would need later in his life. So we come more toward the end of Peter's life. And Peter is writing, I believe, with great reflection and perhaps even thinking about this when he writes, There is wonderful joy ahead even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. Peter's words. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. And that written by Peter, who made the choice to be crucified head downward because he did not want to be crucified the way his master was crucified. The testing of his faith leads to perseverance, perseverance to maturity. And I believe God is trying to grow up the church in America right now in a lot of different ways. Of course, risk always holds the possibility of failures. Our failures do not shape us. Our response to failure does shape us. And there are a whole bunch of people running around who will pinpoint something in your life, something that happened in the past, this moment of failure, and that becomes the definition for the rest of our lives. Not what God has in mind at all. Not what God has in mind at all. Those failures do not shape us. It is our response to the failure. So let me ask you, when the last time you failed, how did you respond to that? Shame? Guilt? Self-condemnation? All these kinds of things that come crushing on us because we sense that somehow we have 
failed. It's our response to the failure that shapes then our future. There have been some failure, failed risks for us as a family. And my life has not just been about skydiving and paragliding. We took a risk. We planted that church in, in that city with one other family and not knowing anyone. Uh, we were out visiting folk new to the church. We, this was the way it was done. And leaving our children with a babysitter who sexually molested my daughter for a long time, unbeknownst to us. And so my 10-year-old son, who is an addict and a derelict in many ways, took it upon himself at that moment in his life to say, I failed the family at 10 years old because he did not protect his sister from this predator. You see, I took a risk to trust my children to someone and I'm out visiting for God. This is real life. But I refuse to let that moment define me or my family. Now, we will struggle through, we will process, we will do everything we can to do, and we know that the Lord heals ultimately. But understand, there is a risk involved in everything that we do. And I could stand up here and tell you times that I have failed when I've taken a risk. But I wouldn't be the man that I am right now standing in front of you without those experiences. Easy? No. Impacting the rest of my life? Absolutely. Absolutely. I still trust that his plan is best. And I will call upon the Lord. I trust you, Jesus. I trust you. I trust you. But if we take the risk and say, I will get out of the boat... I believe two things will happen. John Ortberg wrote a book. If you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. These two things, I'm paraphrasing from him. When we fail, not if, but when we fail, because we will fail when we take risks for God, Jesus will be there to pick us up, to extend the hand, to be there in the storm. And we will not fail alone, ever. And that's the killer, because when we fail, we think we're all alone. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to discuss it. Uh, we failed. And now we're alone on top of this. When we fail, we will not fail alone. We will find that he is still there to rescue us. His hand is still extended to us. He still wants to pick us up. He's amazing, isn't he? Our Jesus. Secondly, every once in a while, every once in a while, we're going to walk on water. And there's nothing like walking on water. In those moments in our lives when we have that opportunity to get out of the boat and walk on water, there's just nothing like it. Trusting you fully. Yes, you are who you say you are. Just as the disciples said when they got back in the boat, this guy is unreal. Wow. Wow. You ready to do some water walking? I am. I want to take that risk again. Anyway, what about the other disciples? What were they doing? Well, they're in the boat. Like Peter, 
we read. They were terrified in fear. They cried out, it's a ghost. But unlike Peter, they sat and watched. They sat and watched. Hmm. That's a choice we've got to make. We can be like the 11 who stayed in the boat, or we can be like Peter who took the risk. And that leaves us a choice, because I believe that God is asking every one of us to take a risk for him. Every single person in this room. He's asking us to take a risk. Are we willing to do that? Are we going to be like the 11 who stayed in the boat, or are we going to be like the one who got out? We're at 1 out of 12 for the disciples. We're at 2 out of 12 for the spies sent in to check out the promised land. 10 said, giants are too big. We can't do this. 2 said, we can do it. That's less than 20%. Now, less than 20% who will respond with courage and faith, take the risk, and attempt great things for the kingdom of God. Wow, less than 20%. I believe that this is a church where we blow those odds right out. I do. Because there are people here who have taken risks. Risks. And what happens? Hmm. If Milo and Dustin say, I'm going to take a risk because I'm going to position my family differently and I want to do this for the honor and glory of God and they start their own business, watch what God can do. Watch what God can do. And there's many others in this room who have taken substantial risks and you've seen what God can do. There's also many stories of failure here when we say, I want to take a big risk for God, right? Didn't turn out quite the way that I thought, but guess what? My faith is grown and I am strengthened. The word for fear used here is in the original language, phobos, which we get our word phobia. Now, when we think of phobia, we think uh, afraid of something. But in the original context and in the original language, this word means to run from, to take flight. And when we're afraid, we still do this. We're either going to fight or flight. We're either going to run into this thing or we're going to run away from it. And so that's the original meaning of the word phobos, and that's the way it's used here. Now, obviously, obviously, disciples had nowhere to go. So Jesus says, fear not, don't be afraid. In other words, he's saying don't run. Don't run away from this moment. This moment is extremely important. Don't run away from the moment. I know you're afraid. Don't run away from it. Well, where are we going to go? We're sitting here in a boat fighting a storm. There, there really is nowhere to go, but they could have gone anywhere. Mentally, spiritually, emotionally, they could have gone to a whole different place. Peter said, I'm, I'm going for Jesus. This is our only hope. I'm getting out of the boat. I'm going to him, right? I'm going to Jesus. Uh, that's where I got to run. I'm going to run to him. I'm going to run to him. Now, I'm away from my situation. It's scary stuff. Scary stuff is going to happen. Whatever we run from controls us. Whatever we run from controls us, and every one of us is running from something right now. In little ways or big ways, we're all running from something because we're afraid. We're afraid. And the challenge here is, okay, what do we do? If this thing I'm running from is controlling me, what do I need to do? We got to confront it. We got to confront it. We got to stop running. And we got to deal with this. And we got to turn back to God and say, This is way bigger than I can handle. I'm really afraid right now. 
And I don't know what, what it is. It might be a circumstance in your life. Maybe it's something God's asking you to do. And you say, I'm not going to do that. Uh-uh. No, there is no way. No way. I'm not smart enough. I'm not trained enough. Uh, you got the wrong person, God. And he keeps coming at you with that still small voice. And no, 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 no. It's you. It's you. You're going to choose to follow? You're going to keep running. And we've got to take courage. We've got to do it even when we're afraid. Because these things are really scary. Because they're always God-sized stuff. That are life-changing. I don't like that. I just soon stay comfortable in a stinky fishing boat. Rowing for my life. Then take the risk. I believe God's putting his finger right there, right in our heart. What is it he's talking about? And we're already trembling because the risk seems to be too much. Took a risk this past week. Took a risk this past week. My kids, man, I love my kids. I said, I'd like your input on our future. Is I think what's going to happen down the road and, and what's the next season of our lives after ministry, all those kinds of things. And we got on a Zoom call and we said, okay, Dad, we really think you ought to sell your house. Really think you ought to sell your house. Huh. Why? Because you sell high and you buy low and right now is the time. Right now is the time to position yourself. Sell the house. Interesting thought. Thought about it a while. I said, okay, let's test the water. Let's test the water. So last Saturday, realtor comes over and they had said, look, we've done a walkthrough. We believe this is the maximum you can get for your house. Wow, that's a lot of money. Market is good. I said, uh-uh. My wife said, uh-uh. We're going to add more onto that. We want to make sure this is a God thing, and, and uh, we want to do it for the right reasons. We want to position ourselves, all that kind of stuff, so we're not a burden to our kids later on. And so I uh, said, okay, tack this amount on. I said, oh, that's a little on the high side, a little on the high side. So signed the contract last Saturday morning. At she said at noon this goes live. Twelve fifty five, we get our first appointment. First person that came through bought it. First person. She comes over that evening with the offer. Fifteen thousand more, fifteen thousand more than the high price that we were asking. With no contingencies, no inspection, no radon test, no nothing. And they came with a letter of approval, pre-approval. I'm like, hmm, sell high, buy low. Okay, so that puts us in a unique position. Where are we going to live? You now have a homeless pastor. Uh, I am homeless. Cindy and I are literally homeless. We've been looking for apartments. And man, you know what? There's a bunch of folk my age that have done the same thing. And they're all looking for what's available right here. So uh, hopefully, 
Uh, I'll have a good report for you soon <laughs> that we have something nailed down. But, hey, it's a risk. Why not, right? Why not? Life's good. Put it out there. I could sit in my little house, take care of my backyard. And they say, well, this is one of the best manicured yard, backyards I've ever seen here. Okay, fine. I could, I could do that. I could put the weed kill and make sure there's no weeds in the yard. I could do that for the rest of my life. No, nah, I prefer the risk. Prefer the risk. Life is an adventure. Come on, live it. Live it. Now, many will think, in our little evangelical bubble world, oh, let me pray about that. And I'm going to pray about that. I'm going to pray about that for a week. I'm going to pray about it for a month. I'm going to pray about it for a year. And then two years. And then three years. What are we waiting for? Hiding behind this thing? I've got to pray about this? Are you serious? Are you serious? Now, I'm not down on prayer. I'm up on action. That's what I'm saying, right? They've got to be linked together, okay? So maybe some of us ought to quit praying about it Quit praying about it and obey what the Lord is telling us to do because I believe he's speaking clearly. I do. Know that fear will always come against us when we make the decision to get out of the boat. Are we going to sit in the boat, cower in fear like the majority, or will we be one of those rare people who will say, I'm getting out of the boat. I'm going to get out of the boat. I'm going to go on this adventure with God. I believe that he's there. I believe he said, come, come, and I'm going to take this a risk. I'm not going to live my life in fear. I'm done running. I'm done running. I'm going to walk on water with Jesus because I sense that he is asking me to do this. Now, I may sink a time or two or three or 30, but he's going to be right there to hold me. And if he's asking me, He's going to provide for him. We talked about this in previous messages. God is constantly telling us, get in the boat, get out of the boat. Get in the boat, get out of the boat. And somewhere in that process, we get stuck. And we get stuck in the boat because it's comfortable. And he's saying, get out of the boat. No, you asked me to get in the boat. It's comfortable in the boat. I want to stay in the boat. I don't want to rock the boat. But there will be some that say, I will not allow fear to control me. Are you one of those people, you ready to say enough is enough? I'd rather step out and drown than spend any more time in this boat in the storm. I'm getting nowhere in my life. Something's got to give here. It's hard, it's scary. And maybe a lie has kept us anchored in that boat. That lie that I'll be destroyed if people know who I really am. What is it that you're hiding What is it that you're running from? So fearful that if you told anyone, you'd be rejected. And then you'd be all alone in life. It'd be even worse. So fearful what others might think if we actually take a risk for God. Nothing new. John 12. Many people did believe in him, however, including some of the Jewish leaders. But they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. For they love human praise more than praise of God. What do we want to hear? God's approval or keeping everybody around us happy. I'm saying there's a time we got to take a risk. There's a time. So what will we do? Are we going to sit in the boat? Or are we going to make the attempt to walk on water because Jesus is there calling us to do it? What are we going to do? Are we going to sit in the boat? If we sit there, we're going to die. Let me illustrate this. Uh, this is a story that comes from Second Kings. The Aramean army had uh, besieged Samaria to the point where there was a great famine. In fact, now it's cannibalism. 
uh, among God's people. They're completely out of food. Not looking real, real good, right? So that's where we pick it up. The city is devastated. There were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. Why should we sit here waiting to die? Why should we sit here waiting to die? They asked each other, we will starve if we stay here, but with a famine in the city, we're going to starve if we go back there. So we might as well go out and surrender. Keep that thought in mind. We might as well go out and surrender to the Arameans. If they let us live, so much the better. But if they kill us, we would have died anyway. Perfect logic, right? I got no food. I'm a leper. I'm going to die. If I sit here, I'm going to die. If I go forward, I'm going to die. If I go back, I'm going to die. I'm just going to surrender. Okay, That's where we are in the story. So at twilight, they set out for the camp of the Arameans, but when they, were, they came to the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Aramean army to hear the clatter of speeding chariots and the galloping of horses and the sound of a great army approaching. So they panicked and ran into the night, abandoning their tents, horses, donkeys, and everything else as they fled for their lives. When the men with leprosy arrived at the edge of the camp, they went into one tent after another, eating and drinking wine, and they carried off silver and gold. Now, if they would have sat there, they would have died, Right? If they would have sat there, they would have died. They said, we're going to die either way. We might as well surrender. We might as well surrender. And they got the spoils because they took a chance and they got out of the boat. We have no other choice. We're not going to sit here. If we sit here, we're going to die. And many of us are in the boat of comfort and we're dying and we don't realize it. And that's the challenge. If we sit here, we're going to die. Rather, I'm going to surrender. And I believe that's what Jesus is asking each of us to do. Surrender to what he's asking us. Surrender to that plan. Take the risk and trust him. Watch what he can do. Surrender. Quit trying to figure it out and fight it out and do all the rest that we're trying to do. And man, we're living in an age of fear. Everybody's fearful, fearful, fearful. Wow. That is not God's intent and plan. These guys were afraid. They said, no, we're going to take the risk. We're going to take the risk. We're going to take the risk. One last story, and then I'll quit. I'm having fun with this series. I hope you are. We love to ride elephants in Thailand. And after doing it a bunch of times and being able to speak some Thai, the mahout, or the elephant driver would let me take the elephant out myself. That was fun. That's real fun. Now, elephants in Thailand are officially classified as an endangered species. There's only three to 4,000 elephants left in the country. A uh, hundred years ago, there was over 100,000 elephants. They had been poached. Uh, they had been abused. So they put them in elephant camps. Part of their income in order to do this, and it's monitored by international people uh, constantly from around the world, making sure the elephants are well cared for. Uh, but they are dying rapidly. And that's very sad. But did you know that an elephant can easily pick up a one toad and one ton load with his trunk. And it's fun to watch him build stuff. They just pick it up and move it around. One ton they can pick up with a trunk. 
But have you ever watched and wondered why these huge animals will just stand there passively and quietly when all there is is a wooden stake with a little tiny rope attached to it? It is kind of weird. What's the secret? How did it happen? While still young and weak, that elephant is tied by a very heavy chain to an iron stake. And no matter how hard that young elephant struggles to get away, he can't. He can't until the point of surrender comes. And he discovers that no matter how hard he tries, he can't break that chain, nor can he pull the stake out. Then no matter how large that elephant grows, no matter how strong he becomes, all that's necessary is that little wooden stake and that little piece of rope. Because as long as he's watching that, he believes that's as far as he can go. The same mindset, I believe, creeps into Jesus' followers that keeps us from accomplishing great things for God. Think about this for a moment. We only look as far as our eyes of experience can see, forgetting to look through eyes of faith at this figure coming toward us. It is the water-walking Jesus, and he's asking us to take a step out onto the water. Oh, that's scary. Now, there are some things changing here at Southside. We've been mentioning them. And this process is beginning to accelerate. And there'll be a time in the next few weeks we're going to share with you some of the plans that we are considering. It'll come to the congregation for those of you that are members for a vote of affirmation. But we're looking at, uh, first and foremost, uh, a change in our philosophy of ministry. Uh, This building, wonderfully constructed as the largest uh, Christian sanctuary in the county, uh, was built with a a model uh, that we would attract people here. And that was all well and good, but times have changed. Times have changed. And now rather than an attractional model, we're looking at a missional model which says we've got to go to the people. They're not coming here necessarily We must go to them because America has become a mission field. And so with that, what do we do with a facility? And there are options that uh, were prayerfully considered. Your elders have been on this uh, for well over a year. And and in fact, the building team is meeting uh, right after this uh, to actually look at a facility. And so things are beginning to progress. Uh, and we're also looking at what else the future will hold. Uh, we're looking at uh, that point in which we add staff, and that staff will probably be my replacement as we look at a process that will take several years uh, and just unfolding that. So lots of changes right here on the horizon. What can we believe God to do? What can we believe God to do together? How big is our faith? I believe God is about to test this church uh, in in powerful ways. I'm really excited about this. I love rocking a boat, stirring things up. Let's shake it up, see what happens. Because we can't keep doing what we're doing because it's not working. And we're not going to change just because it's not working. We want to do this in obedience to what God is calling us to do. And I believe he's saying, get out of the boat. Get out of the boat. Collectively as a church, get out of the boat and trust me. Trust me. So I don't know about you, but I'm ready for Jesus to free me once again this morning. Lord, set me 
free, free from the bondage of my earthly fears, my earthly attitudes, the fear that often uh, paralyzes my soul, freedom from my circumstances dictating my spiritual health. Aren't you sick of that? That our circumstances are dictating our spiritual health individually, as a family, as a church? Our circumstances are telling us and revealing to us what our spiritual health is like. It shouldn't be that way. should not be that way. I'm ready to walk by faith. I'm ready to step up. I'm ready to take a risk. I'm ready to believe God for big things, beginning in me and with me in my own heart. How about you? How about you? How about you? There's going to be some people who say, I don't know. I don't know. And that's good. That's good. Because again, as we talked about risk, it's not an emotional response. It's a reasoned response. Sit down, count the cost. Count the cost. Make sure it's Jesus you're responding to. Is he the one asking you to get out of the boat? Or are your circumstances asking you to get out of the boat? Vast difference. Vast difference. But I don't want our circumstances dictating our spiritual health and our direction. What about you?